Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Hyper Guy Motivational Podcast. Thank you so much, so much for welcome uh, for uh, being here today. I have the pleasure of having a BJJ legend, a great, a coral belt, black belt in jiu-jitsu, Fabio Santos. I've known Fabio for many years now, and um, he is one of my heroes, a person I look up to. Uh, he truly, truly is a legend. He's j- done just about everything. And what I really like about Fabio is that everyone loves him. Anyone that meets him, they, they, he's respected in the jiu-jitsu community by everybody. He is a black belt under Hickson Gracie. He's a multiple-time Brazilian jiu-jitsu champ. He's been teaching jiu-jitsu for 35 years. He is a physical fitness instructor, and that's what he did prior to this. Um, born and raised in Rio. He is a avid surfer. He's an extreme sports guy. Any, any extreme sports, Fabio does it. Um, he's also an avid skier, and he travels all over the United States teaching jiu-jitsu and seminars, and he is a business owner. So, Fabio, thank you so, so much for being here today. Thank you, brother. I, I just appreciate you. I know that you're very, very busy, and you put aside a little time here for us today. So I'm going to start from the beginning, if you don't mind. So we're going to go way, way back. So tell me, tell me, um, where were you, where were you born and raised? I was born in Rio, you know, in uh, Ipanema, Copacabana, that area. And, you know, we grew up with surfing and beaching, you know, it was, it was a fun time. <laughs> so t- tell me about your life when you grew up. I mean, um, when you were growing up, uh, what was your, what was it like with your parents and your brothers and sisters? What was what was it like growing up in Rio at that time? Uh, you know, we, we it was we, the neighborhood. Everybody knew everybody, so you know, we, we were kids, and we go downstairs and go out to the street, and every, it was safer than today. You know, today it was it, it's it, kids cannot be alone, and, you know. Uh, it's changed a lot, but you know, school just like here. You know, we take the bus and go to school and come back and go play. We played a lot, a lot more than the kids today. You know, we we had groups of kids that we joined. You know, it was uh, it was great, and uh, my mom was pretty much the culprit for putting me in jiu-jitsu because of all the fights and the bullying and the, you know, in elementary school. So, yeah. So t- tell me about that. Like what were your, what was your experience like in elementary school and how did you get into sports? Because you've been a lifelong athlete. Like how did that develop? And were, were you focused on uh, school you know, surfing was my first sport. And then, you know, I started swimming for the school, you know, I was very good swimmer and, Swimming was a, a the next thing too, and you know, once we found out about jujitsu, and then you know everything was over. It was all jujitsu the whole time. But <laughs> so how did so you said you started like when you were young? Did you were you? Well, my mom put me in jujitsu because you know I needed to protect myself. It was a different jujitsu than they teach today. You know, uh, very few people teach the jiu-jitsu they actually i learned you know and and the gracie family the early the early uh members of the gracie family um was mostly to protect yourself there was no tournaments you know and then you know like today it's it started exploding and then the the tournaments start to come and then it became a sport and we kept you know at it and, no. and so, so tell me about your time. You said you started, how old were you when you started getting into jiu-jitsu? So my first jiu-jitsu class, I was only seven years old. Dude. You know, but you know how it is. I mean, you're a kid and I have to kick the dog out here. For some... <laughs> but, um, you know, when you're a kid, you got out so many other things. So jiu-jitsu wasn't that, you know. But when I met Halls after, you know, I met him in Peru. That's later when I was about like 18 or 19. And then, you know, we, I became like pretty much obsessed so, with jiu-jitsu. So who did you, when you said you were, you took it when you were young, um, did you take that in, in local schools? 
And tell me about that. What I'm very interested about is that I, I kind of been around a long time too. So jujitsu has evolved a lot. And like you said, when you did jujitsu, it was very, very different. Can you explain how it was different in, in Brazil, how they taught jujitsu when you were young compared to, um, to now? So we, we pretty much drilled the self-defense um, over and over, you know. Was uh, and then we had we had like open open hand matches, you know, when I was like twelve years old. Uh, but I, I was not training with the Graces yet. I was training with one of the students from Elio Grace, Bernardo, in Leblon. There was a school in Leblon, with a neighborhood in, in Rio. You know Leblon. Hey, what was the training like, Fabio? There, what was it? Typically, was it two hours, it was three hours? Normal, you know, with gi, you know, and belts, just like the 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 system that Elio Gracie put up during nineteen sixty four. All the all the red belts they got together and they made that system of belts: uh, the the white, in gray, yellow, orange, green. You know, to make jujitsu accessible. To the majority of the people that wanted to, to you know, and make it, make it a, a martial art that could be used for sport, you know, kind of like judo, but with more, a lot more things you could do, like footlocks, and you know. And and did you you did you practice judo for a time being as well? Oh yeah, when I got to college, I actually got a. a, a a huge scholarship for from judo and uh, a filho very big university they went out they went under a few years ago but um i i got really really many years of scholarship uh doing judo for the school you know representing the gamma filho team which was one of strong very strong judo teams they would bring people from tokyo to teach us and it was it was excellent it was very excellent school so I when you were, when you were thing i miss going to school and you know then all the crew all the people you know it was great great and so and at the same time doing jujitsu i was a very busy person at that time like uh, you know early 80s so uh, what what was your typical day like then? You said you were very busy. Well, you were attending to... I wake up and go to college, you know, and go to school. And then we had all these uh, physical and, and theoretical classes too. You know, we had all these classes until like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, including judo and karate, uh, soccer. It was fun. You know, we'd go and there was swimming and everything was a practical... Um, and physical class, I mean, and we'd have theoretical classes in the in the classroom too. It was excellent, and you know, and then by three o'clock, I, I I was helping people with weights and stuff. You know, I was being doing kind of a part time job. So and what is so what did you seven o'clock? I had to be down in Copacabana, but for training, you know, with Hollies and the and the the clue the the crew so so what was so um when you were in the university were you planning on being a physical fitness trainer and an instructor uh, that was your major correct yeah you know and teaching schools and stuff and that's the reason why i came to new york in 83 84 i came to new york to to work on this giant gym that the guy was from romania and, and I worked there for the whole year, but I didn't, I really didn't want to, you know, I really wanted to work with Jiu-Jitsu. I so, started teaching a couple of classes there at the guy's school, and the guy was like, what the hell is that thing that you like, roll around with these guys, you know? You know, he was a karate guy, but... then uh, you know, we had a couple of <laughs> matches over there. So, so how did you? How did, so? Let me ask you this. So, this is the, this is where it really gets starts. The, the, your story starts to really blow up here. 
Um, <laughs> when you when you met, when did you meet the Gracie family, and who did you meet first, and how did that happen? I met the Hollis first in, in Peru in a in a complete different environment that you would think, you know what I mean? It had nothing to do with jiu-jitsu. We're surfing. And the guys are like, you know, that guy over there, he's tougher than shit, man. You know, you. Uh, I'm like, who the hell is that guy? Uh, my karate will kill that guy. <laughs> you know. And then uh, one day we're at this restaurant, you know, and Holly shows up and he sits with us and then he becomes friends with us and we had dinner. You know, the guy's a legend. I, I come start to find out, you know, from, from other guys. And they start, you know, the Peruvian guys start messing with us and throwing lemons at us, you know. And <laughs> Hollis gets up and goes over there and talks to the guy in the, the guy's ear, like really close, you know, like whispers something to the guy. And then the guy's all, oh, yeah, he agrees. I'm like, what the hell now? I had no idea what was going on. That same night, go Hollis goes to their boxing gym or whatever they had over there in Punta Hermosa in, in Peru. And takes on the guy and beats the crap out of the guy that's throwing lemons at us. This <laughs> I come find out later. <laughs> so when we come back, that's when, you know, we start going to his school because he had invited us. Me and Alvaro, my friend Alvaro, the Ginasca Natural guy. Uh -huh. Me and him, we started going to Holly's gym. And then we met all the, you know, we met the the whole crew, you know, the family. That's when it all started. And they invited us to participate, you know, in a lot of the events that the family, we go up to the mountains with them. And So who did you, who did you meet? You said you invited. So who did you meet? You said you met the, the whole crew, no, the, whole, the whole Gracie met, crew. We met all Holly's brothers, uh, Carlos Gracie. We met, you know, the young ones, Hoyler, there's video of me training with Hoyler when Hoyler was like probably 13 years old. There's uh, there's, you know, little matches that we used to do with Elio Gracie being the referee, <laughs> you know. And then how, how about when you meet Holes and Hickson? You met them and uh, you met them about the same time as well? Yeah, pretty much we met Hickson that day that we were up in the mountains. You know, and uh, he, he, Hollis was still able to beat everyone in the family. <laughs> and, and, and yeah, how, how, what was that like? Because, you know, a lot of people, they go back and forth and they say, you know, Holes was considered the best at that time. And then people kind of go back and forth between Hickson and Holes. And I, I was I was reading Hickson's book and he was saying, no, no, I've, Holes knew I was better. I knew yeah, I was better. Later, you know, way later. 80, 80 late start to beat Halls because you know that's a normal thing that happens, you know. Halls was already getting old, and but um, it was always an <laughs> unbelievable fight, you know. It was, uh, it was never easy. And, and what was the experience training with them? Because one of the things I realize now, and I think my discussions with you when I met you a long time ago, and I remember you said this to me, you said the training was very, very difficult. And that, and that getting a black, uh, getting a black belt was took 10, 15 years sometimes to get a black belt. Not yeah, like it, not, not like it is belt. now. If the belt was important to you, you could forget about it, you know, but uh, it comes with time and, you know, it came for everybody with time. But it wasn't something that we even talked about. We just there because, you know, camaraderie and, you know, it was great just to be there and train with these guys. These guys were excellent instructors and friendly and, you know, they would tell jokes at the right time. And But the, the training was serious. It was always pretty serious. So when the tournament to start to come up in the 80s, you know, and then we started training really hard and doing extra, like climbing stairs and doing sprints on the beach. And, you know, we used to do everything to be able to win. And what was there a competition between was the competition between 
all of you and your group, was it pretty intense? Yeah, yeah. We always, and Hall has always said that we had to fight, even if we end up with the same guy in the team, you know, with the same team guy in the end. We always fought anyway, but it was a respectful thing. Nobody threw any tantrums or, you know. Um, it was a, a little different than today. I see today there's a lot of screaming and, and disagreement because the rules that they made today are very complicated and puts the referee in terrible place, you know. Uh, they award things that nobody happen. It, they award almost, almost to me doesn't happen. So if I make tournaments, I made tournaments that you have to make points or finish the guy, you know what I mean? But uh, they make tournaments that makes very difficult for the referee to actually act, you know. The referee being one of the most important things in the whole deal, you know. Yeah, it, se it seems to me that um, during your time, there was a more there was more of a focus on finishing it, on finishing the oh, fight. Yeah, a lot more finishings, and they would play the game to finish. Get out then, kill yourself or kill the guy. <laughs> right. It was. It wasn't playing it safe. It wasn't laying prey or just you know. Yeah, many times I didn't calculate, you know, when I competed and I went out there as hard as I could and in five minutes I was dead and the guy killed me. That's when you learn, you know what I'm saying? That's when you learn. You have to compete so many times, so things like that happen. And you learn that you have to, in a tournament, study the opponent a little bit, you know, and make sure that you get in there with full, full physical condition. And, and Fabi, let me ask you, when you were training with them, when you were training with uh, Hickson and Holes and Hoyler and, and, and Horian and the whole, the whole crew, um, was, was Elio, was he the primary instructor or did you guys all teach each other? How did you develop new moves and techniques? You know, when Hollis died, because Hollis had always, he was so open-minded and he would come up with all this new stuff and but when Hollis died, <clears throat> uh, Hickson, you know, pulled us aside and helped us out with the new stuff and the, the stuff that we didn't know. And, you know, and, you know, the guys started to get creative because of the tournaments, too. Uh, a lot of things that would work for the tournament, you know, wouldn't be useful in an MMA match, but. You know, but uh, that still worked for sports. So the guys started creating on that a lot, jokes and you know, finishings and and transactions, transitions, transitions. You know, it became a you know became a game of who had more arsenal. You know, had a bigger arsenal. And. And let me ask you this. You guys were still surfing at the time and doing all these things in the community. Um, still surfing as much as possible, you know, but because we live close to the ocean and that actually really helped. But if we had to drive and, you know, do all that, all that commotion to actually go surfing would have been really hard. But being right there, you could go first thing in the morning and still do the rest of the stuff that you had to do yeah. <laughs> and and did you how how did the community accept you was it like did people i know jujitsu was kind of a different little group subculture in rio did did sometimes you guys clash with other jujitsu schools yeah. or other karate schools <clears throat> so for for some time you know some guys gave jujitsu a bad name in rio they went around beating up people. They, they went around shooting people with, uh, 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 you know, they would drive by and shoot people with a uh, uh, paintball and damage businesses and stuff. And were some jiu-jitsu guys, and then they, they got, you know, the entire jiu-jitsu got blamed, which, you know, you can't blame a martial arts for bad behavior of some. But... You know, that has passed, and, and, and now, you know, it, it, it's it's seen as a good sport where, you know, 
the majority of the guys have to have some kind of diploma to teach or, you know, have CPR tests and have, have no first aid of some kind, you know, at least in Rio. And did you, so let me ask you this. So when Holes passed away, what was the effect on you and the family members yeah, it was it was a messed up time because we didn't really want to do much we just like became bums for a while you know it was a big impact after 10 years of being there with the man and all of a sudden it was like a complete all of a sudden thing you know so he kind of threw us into this let's hang out on the beach and just kind of hang out there and go surfing and you know not do much and you know, and just kind of be together, all these people that stayed, you know, behind. But, you know, you can't live like that. So we, we started going to, to the training where Hickson used to be, and, you know, Carlos Gracie Jr. and um, Hoyler, and Hans would show up here and there, and Charles, and, and you know, and, and then the thing started to get bigger, and Carlos opened Barra Gracie, you know, I would go there and train some, you know, Barra Grace. You know. It was really far away from my house, though. So I always tried to stick around Copacabana, that area where the old academy is. Carson Grace is still there. I mean, there's some guys teaching there from Carson Grace in school. The academy is still there. Unbelievable. Yeah, that years or something. And, and let me ask you, so who are some of the other greats that you met in in Brazil prior to coming to the States, because we, we consider, we consider them the greats. Do you consider them your friends because you grew up with them? <laughs> so, but Crawley, Gracie, you know, um, all the young ones, the, the, uh, Charles, you know, troublemaker, Charles, <laughs> he, he, he was the one that we, you know, because, he was the one that got beat up on the street. And then we had to go over there, you know, at that other school and, and beat up on the other guys from the other school. He was one of the creative problems. Hansel was pretty much also a, a, a troublemaker. He wouldn't, you know, somebody mess with him and he'd go over there and, you know, let him have it. And then sometimes, you know, there was a gang thing, a bunch of those guys, a bunch of our guys, you know. <laughs> it was a healthy thing, though. And then, and then, that all, ended, did... that all ended. Halls was like, we have to become professionals, you know. Mm -hmm. And they, we started traveling for competition, and you know, they came to the United States to compete in sambo, and you know, and after that, you know, it became we became more professional, and the savagery kind of died out. So, um, can, could could you make a living? Was it difficult to make a living in jiu-jitsu in Brazil? It was very hard before. It was very hard. Um, now, you know, there's giant schools. There's giant schools be because it became, you know, that everybody want to be a champion now and get a medal. Um, but, the, I, you know, personally, I see that they're overseeing a lot of the real jiu-jitsu, which defends you from, you know, it's a self-defense method, but they, they don't want to look at that. They mostly now they do it like judo. And then when they go to the ground, they do it like jujitsu. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So Which what, is, what, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I did that for many years. I competed in every tournament they made. And, and, and I'm all for it. You know, I so, just think that nowadays is a lot, not, not as fair as it used to be. They, they messed up the time limits. They messed up rules. They messed up, you know, people take stuff, drugs and uh, enhancing your performance drugs. So, I, you know, to me, to be fair, it's really far from being fair, but, but it's still a good sport, you know. So, so when you came over, okay. So, what made you come to New York? And you went to New York, and this we can we can. Find no, I actually had a job lined up. At this, okay. This guy uh, from uh, Romania, you know, and I 
actually stayed there and he paid me good money and I would have a little class of jiu-jitsu after all, like 9 p.m., you know, have bring some, there were some Brazilian guys hanging around New York at that time. I'll bring them over, you know, some guys had gi, some guys had no gi, but he was still all around, you know, keeping up and working some moves and stuff. And then you went from New York. What made you from move New from York, New York? And I went to Alaska. I was like, okay, jiu-jitsu is not going to be my thing. I'm going to have to make some money. So I stayed in Alaska. I made some money in, in cannery, working with canneries and, and fish, you know. And, and then, I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to tell my boss that this is not going to last. <laughs> You know, so I told the guy, I said, dude, you know, I'm from Brazil. I, I just experiencing this, you know, I had to get a job because I was broke. He goes, oh, I know. That's how most people do. Then, and then they rescind their contract and they get out of here. It's a miserable place. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you're right. This is a miserable <laughs> place. We had 50 days of a blizzard when I got oh. there. 50 days straight, almost two, two months of blizzard. Blizzard, 100 mile an hour wind. Can't even remember the name of the place, Jasper or something. I was like, okay, I'm out of here. I'm completely out of here. The next flight, I'm gonna go see my sister in Florida. So I went to Florida, hung out in Florida. I'm like, oh man, paradise, you know, this is beautiful here compared to that miserable place there. As soon as I said that, the hurricane hit. <laughs> Andrew. Wow. I don't know if you remember that name. Yeah. And hurricane in the 80s i don't I can't remember really when 86 maybe and i was like all right i'm out of here too i'm not gonna stay here and be a victim to a bunch of hurricanes you know she was in fort lauderdale which was a great place for a few months you know from there i bought a car and drove to salt lake you know salt lake city i wanted to go ski and then i had some money in my pocket you know Forgot about jujitsu for a while. So I get in Salt Lake, you know, I'm starting to live in Park City, up on the mountains because, you know, it's very close to the ski resort. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to learn this stuff, you know. So sometimes that I'm skiing, I find out that Pedro Sauer lives in Salt Lake. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to start training again. It was like a 25-minute drive, you know. So I drove a few times from Park City to Salt Lake just to train with Pedro, you know. Time passes, I meet Sherry in Park City. And that's your, that's your wife? My wife, mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. 30, 32 years now. And, uh, no, we, from Park City we moved because in Park City we couldn't make any money. It was just partying. We're partying and, you know, skiing and broke and, you know, we live from from money to money that we made that day. <laughs> you know, they had no money. When we moved to Portland, I, you know, I'm pretty good with fiberglass. So I, I went in and got a job at this marina building these oh, awesome yachts. You know, I was making pretty good money. But it was a very poisonous, very poisonous work, you know. That's when I found out that the Gracie family was in Los Angeles. Horion, his kids, and Hoyce, you know. I pick up a, a Black Belt magazine, and there's a, a thing for seminars on there. I'm like, wait a minute. This guy <laughs> after Brazil? <laughs> you know, Horion. And then I called Horion from the number that was on that card. And he was all, you know, we're making a fight. I'm like, what? You're making a fight in Los Angeles? And he goes, yeah, we're making the ultimate fighting championship. You better come down here to help out. I'm like, I'll be there in two days. <laughs> so we packed up and, and left to LA. And that's all how, you know, it started here. And that so Jiu-Jitsu Academy of the United States was... Uh, in Torrance, right? In Torrance, yeah, yeah, and then I know you. I know I saw you. I, I've seen many videos, and I think most of us, many of us, have seen the videos of you in the challenge matches. So, yeah. um, what belt were you when you went to the Torrance Academy? You were you were helping to teach there. I know, and I, I know you were also teaching, uh, helping. Uh, yeah, I was like black belt 
third degree or something like that. At that point. Yeah. And so you were teaching, you were helping teach at the Torrance Academy and then train, you were training hoist for the first UFC. Training hoist for the UFC. Yep. Me and, you know, we, we, Hickson opened another academy in, in Pico. Over there in the middle of LA. And then we go over there and train with him. You know, Hoist was doing good when he was training with Hickson. And how was that? How was the training um, for for the first UFC with Hoist? Was was were any of you scared because there was no time limits? There was it was no oh, you know, bar, there was no rules. That, there was always that that scared. You know, we're playing the odds, on, you know. There's always that scared. If you're not scared, you're dumb. <laughs> but you have to control. You know, your control your. You're scared, and you get out there and see, but, you know, these guys would come in, and would have to stop the class to fight in the middle of... Then the fight in the tournament became not so... so Because so many times we did that at the academy, you know. Fought somebody that we have never seen in your life. Well, that that's what I want to ask you. It's the challenge matches, and I know you did this a lot. So can you explain to the audience what a challenge match was? And this was no rules. I mean, these were people coming in off the street, and they would hear about you guys, and they'd say, I want to fight. And then you guys, I mean, explain to the audience what that was. Yeah, the guys would walk from the street and just like, you know, do you guys do kickboxing here? Do you guys do open hand? I said, dude, we do whatever you want. You know what I mean? Just no eye gouging, no biting. You know what I mean? Whatever you want to do. Because some guys were like, oh, oh, no, no. Eye gouge, oh, that's our best weapon. I'm like, well, come on. We can eye gouge too. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? So we take that out of the game. But there's some crazy guys out there, I'm telling you, dude. And, and, so, yeah, and, and I used to see they used to come in there, and then the, you guys had a little mat room that had pads around it, and you'd come in, and you guys would just say, "Let's go," and yep. you, and you and would just generally Horio would say, "Don't hurt the guy too much," because you know maybe the guy become our student. You know, I <laughs> smash the guy; he's gonna be angry, and it's gonna leave. Yeah, I, I think well, the those... guys that were smart they signed up. But the ones that were like they stomped out, pissed off, and you know they were not smart. You know. And that kind of helped grow the Gracie name too, is because Horian and them would go to the other academies and say, "Hey, let's 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 kind of roll a little bit." Oh, yeah. he went to a bunch of judo places and you know brought Hicks on there and Hanzo and all the guys, and it was a sort of a massacre. <laughs> you know, and then the guys, you know, some guys were like, "Man, you guys are really good." We, we want to learn, you know, and yeah. uh, we would get a lot of students, you know. Yeah, it started, it started to blow up then. I know that. Um, yeah. So the, after the first UFC, how long did you stay at the Gracie Academy? And then you went and you opened up your own academy, correct? We, uh, it was about two years. Me and Sherry. Sherry worked for the, you know, WOW. World War of the Worlds company that actually made the, the UFC and made the octagon. And they were going to make a circle, but Sherry said, if you make a circle, the guys are going to roll off. And if you make it the corners very tight, the guys are going to be stuck on the corners because she, Sherry's tired of watching jiu-jitsu. You know, <laughs> she became a blue belt, but her neck is so messed up that she... So she was the one that told the audience, if you make an you know, uh, octagon... It, it, the, the sides are pretty much open and the corners are open so nobody gets stuck in corners you know and then they use that and we both worked for the company i mean we're staff and how, how was it i mean i think a lot of times i think people don't understand that you had no time limits and you had multiple fights in a night, and there were hardly any rules at all. So it's very much different than it is now when you have a. No, no today is a, you know it's the guy. If the guy is one pound above the the, the weight, there is a big problem. You know, there was there were three hundred pound guys fighting one hundred seventy eight. You know what I mean? With no time limit, somebody had to give up. 
<laughs> yeah, it's just yeah, it's a totally it's a totally different game. So when I hear people compare the two, I say, well, you really can't compare when someone says, well, no. the fighters yeah. now are better than then. I said, yeah, but the fighters now are not fighting three fights, four nights, four fights in a night with no I mean, time limit. They're highly highly uh, skilled today. I'm not saying that they're not, but they're not fighting three times in one night. They open up in the first fight so much that they wouldn't have to fight the second. They wouldn't have enough wind. I see guys completely destroyed after the, their fight. They take so many punches. You know what I mean? That There would be no way that you could fight three times you know, and, and make it the way they, they they take abuse, you know, take punches and kicks, and it's and uh, completely different. It's a different game, and I think also, and uh, I want to go to this part of it. When you you opened up your jujitsu academy in San Diego, and uh, what year did you open up your academy? And um, we opened in ninety uh, four. Yeah, I think we opened in ninety four. It was uh, the first, the first academy. And uh, we were supposed to go to, to Philadelphia. Hario had a, a bunch of students already lined up. And then this giant snowstorm just buries Philadelphia for, you know, two weeks. They're completely buried. And Hoyce was there, stuck there. And he goes, you're not going to like Philadelphia. <laughs> so Sherry's all, let's go to San Diego. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we stayed in San Diego for 30 years. Well, the academy is still going. I mean, the academy is, is is pumping right now. And and let me ask you this: some of your a lot of people don't know this, but uh, you have you have some great black belts that came out of your school. You you were in San Diego, so I I've been there. Man. I I've been there. Sixty black belts formed by me in the thirty years that I was there. So it's um. I think some of I I think some they're running the place perfect right now. Yeah. And some of these black belts, I think everybody knows Dean Lister. Dean Lister is one of your first students, and yeah, and Higgs, and there, you had a and his old school there to, to a victory. And I and I believe uh, Jocko actually trained with you sometime as well, yep. correct? Yep. I mean, you you've had lots and lots of MMA fighters, lots of um, great jujitsu fighters that have come through. A lot of Navy SEALs, a lot of police officers. So. Yep. Definitely. You've been doing it, and I remember this. You know, I, I would like to hear. I would like the listeners to hear also that I, I I think people don't understand that when you were teaching seminars, and I'm not so sure if you do it now because I, I don't see a lot of people that teach seminars do this now. But in the old days, when uh, jujitsu greats like yourself were teaching seminars, you would grapple the entire class after. Yeah, every single person, sometimes up to 40 people back yeah. to back to back. One time I trained in Oregon at the racket club. We had a giant seminar and I I, I took one entire hour just to train who, who, whoever wanted. And I trained with 40 guys in a row. That was the most I trained with. I was completely as gosh. I would let the guy just ragdoll me until I could get to a good position. <laughs> You know what I mean, and then I would like apply to the guy, but I I remember it was I great remember. times. You know, I I had really good physical condition. Yeah, I I was just I mean, you your cardio was amazing, and and I think part of that is because you were you do a lot of other athletics as well. I yeah, you I was surfing and, and skiing, and you know, constantly, and I think that keeps up the the lung. Yeah, I. I remember you gave a seminar one time and um, we, you were so gracious because you allowed the police officers to attend for free. And um, we had oh, maybe, San Francisco. Yeah. And we, we had probably close to 30 people. And I remember the first day of the training, some of the officers were like, I got this. I got this. They came in and, <laughs> you, and, and you told everybody don't have a big lunch, you know, because after the, after lunch, yeah. you know, you, you know, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be rough on you. And then and, the seminars were like three, four hours long. Oh, oh. I mean, I, nowadays I do seminars like two, two and a half hours. Oh, the, you oh. know, because people can't, you know, they, they by the second hour, they're like, you know what I mean? They're tired. And you had, we had people coming in from everywhere. We had people coming from, um, there was a bunch of other jujitsu academy people. They would call, they say, don't tell my instructor I'm coming, but I want to go. Fab, Fabio <laughs> is a great that. Fabio is a great instructor. I want to come out and take classes with him. 
And so I remember some, a bunch of the officers um, left at lunch and didn't come back. And I called them on the phone. I called them on the phone. I said, Hey, you coming back? They said, man, I'm dead. And, um, but I remember the second day and traditionally this is what would, what you grappled about 26, 27 people in a row without a break. And I remember at the, there was a, do that. yeah, there was a, there was a gentleman probably about, Mm, I'd say he was almost like 360 and you and him were grappling for maybe 10 minutes or so. And this, and he was one of the last people you were grappling and you tapped him out. And I remember he came over to me and said, I can't, I've never had someone his size tap me out. And I, and I was, all of us were just like in awe because it reminded me of when Hickson was in Chicago and he grappled about 40 people in a row. So that yeah. was, that seemed like it was a tradition when you did seminars where all the jujitsu greats used to do that, huh? Yeah, but that might have been a mistake <laughs> because now they want us to do it and they can't do it anymore. You know, it's brittle now. <laughs> so, I mean, so let me ask you a question. Um, how has jujitsu changed from in terms of training and in terms of getting and earning your black belt back then to now? Because it seems to me now, and, and I may be wrong, that it's a lot easier to get a black belt in certain academies than in the old traditional, the old traditional time when you were getting your black belt, it, it was unusual to have a black belt in jujitsu because it took so long to get the black belt. Correct. Well, some schools required that you had some kind of fight, you know what I mean? Uh, that you have a lot more compliments than today. I mean, today, if you go by certain factions, you can't do it by time, you know, you'll be so many years in one belt and then so many years. And if you, you know, if you stay in that, in that, what is it, method, you will end up getting your black belt in, a, in you know, 10 years or so. You know, there's a lot of factions like the IBDJF, the, you end up getting your belt if, you, if you're there you know but you don't need to be a champion you don't need to compete you don't need to do this or that but i mean we our time we wanted to to actually put it on the line to see you know i mean if we measured up to the the guys that we were training with but i see a lot of times you know today guys change schools a lot so they don't really have a guy that's you know, the guy that they look up to, you know what I mean? So let me ask you this, Fabio, if you have to give someone advice on, and I'm glad you brought this up. Um, there's, I, I remember you told me this a long time ago. You said, pick a school where you don't get injured. And I remember you told me, you said, if you go to a school, and I give this advice to, to friends of mine that um, that asked for jujitsu ju schools, and they said, and, and sure enough, a lot of them, and I think uh, Hickson brought this up in, in one of his interviews as well, is that, you know, you get people to go in the first time they get injured. And guess what? They never come back again. They never do jujitsu again. Never. So what what advice? And I remember you told me, you said, Fig, if if you injure them, they're never coming back. It makes no sense. So yeah. what advice would you give to someone if they're looking for a good jujitsu school for self-defense? You know, Today is very difficult. It's very difficult. We, we really have to look to see if the person has a paper in the wall, a certification of some kind, you know. Um, but even like that, they're so into that competition, that's where the, the, the training gets heated up and then they pull a guy that's not up to do that and gets hurt. You know what I mean? So I think the the schools nowadays that teach very slowly, starting from the you know from the first step of jujitsu, you know, because a lot of people think, oh, you know, we're gonna start by throwing somebody. <laughs> you know, jujitsu starts on the ground first. You know what I mean? So people can get get comfortable with falling, and you know what I mean. And, and all those 
techniques that you're going to learn, that little warm-up that you, you do, you know, running around and doing flips and doing this and hipscapes and going to your knees and, you know what I mean, uh, little squats this way and that way. That all has to do with jiu-jitsu. That all have to do with the way you move in jiu-jitsu. So if you don't do that, it's going to be very hard for you to get the person to, you know, fall in. You know what I mean? The person is going to watch and say, hey, I can't do that. I can't do that. So you have to start very slow. Teach them the upa. You know what I mean? Teach them the elbow escape. Teach them that very slowly. And then the person is going to feel like, you know, but I see some schools, they throw the guy right in the lion's den. You know what I mean? They, they, they start grappling already in the second class or sometimes even in the first because he already trained with his buddies, you know what I mean? They're like, oh, no, I've done it before. I'm like, wait a minute, you know, you don't understand. You're going to resist something and, you know, some blue belt or purple belt is going to put it to you, you know. Um, it can happen. So the head instructor has to be a sensible guy, you know what I mean? He has to protect the new people and he has to be there. That's one of the most important thing. The head instructor, he has to be there. Mm -hmm. He has to be eyes everywhere. He has to see everything that's happening. You know what I mean? And, and how did... How... Yeah, I got a purple belt teaching. I got another guy teaching, you know what I mean? He's not going to have the eyes of a, a, a real black belt instructor, you know. And how did, how did you stay so motivated over the years to stay in jiu-jitsu because, like you said, it is your grapple. Like you said, it, it took a toll on your body. And part of oh, that is you've been grappling so long. But um, I think watching my 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 students get better and compete and win, you know, made me want to compete until I was fifty-five years old, and that was a mistake. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think you have to love the stuff if you. If if you if you just use it for a business, that's okay. But for you to exceed, you have to love the stuff. You know what I mean? And you know, when you love the stuff, you're gonna compete until your body turns into trash. <laughs> I mean, you can see all these guys that you know they all competed until their bodies don't allow anymore. You yeah, know? so it's jujitsu, I I'd say since I've known you, I, I think sports has been your passion, jiu-jitsu, skiing, and, and, and surfing. Definitely. Those are things that I'm probably going to do until the end of my life. <laughs> now live, I live really close to the ski resort now. You know, it's actually snowing really hard right now. As soon as I get done talking to you, I'm going to drive over there and take a couple of runs. Well, let me ask you this. Um, what would the younger... Fabio, what would, what, would the, what would the older Fabio tell the younger version of Fabio for advice? <laughs> if you could do it over again, what's the advice you'd give yourself? Uh, you know, I could have, um, I don't know. I'm I, I really successful in, in everything I did. So it's very hard for me to actually, you know what I mean? Um, I could have been with my parents more. You know, I I could have been with my parents because I traveled a lot and I miss my parents. Now they're both dead. And I'm telling myself, man, I miss being with them. You know, I didn't get much time with them as I should have. But, you know, you know, destiny was one thing, you know, you can't. Afterwards, is like I said, almost doesn't exist. And afterwards, you can't cry, you know, it's too late. But, but, you know, Fabio, it's good advice, though, because it's good advice for us to value our the loved ones in our life, too, you know, the loved why, ones, why we have them. And th those are the most important things. Be with them as much as you possibly can. So later, you don't regret. Yeah. You know, I had at your life either, you know, you can't regret your life. You, you have a life to live and you have to go and do it, you know. So let me ask you this. If you could meet one person in your life that you haven't met, I know you've met a lot of great people, but uh, who would you have liked to meet and what would you say to that person? Uh, you know, that's a good question. Um, 
who would I like to meet? Um, that, that you stumped me. I would like to meet Trump, you know, because I think he did good things to, to the country and he thought about the people a little bit more than a lot of the presidents. But I like to meet. I would like to meet. Um, uh, it's hard to say. You hey, kind you of stumped me. <laughs> hey, 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 don't worry. The, the, I, I, we've we've stumped a lot of people on this podcast. And let me ask you, what what are your future goals? What is your future goals for you, Fabio? What's next for you? What's I know you've done a lot of stuff on your bucket list because you're not you're not scared of much. Um, so what is le what's le on your that past five years before these two years since I did my hip replacement that were held for me were terrible because my hip hurt so bad and I kept trying to you know I should have done the hip replacement earlier. Now I can do anything. I can train, I can ski, I can't, you know, I have no, no problems uh, or, fi or uh, any kind of physical problem. I mean, I'm doing great. I had a little cold the other day, but, you know, it took two days and I'm back. I thought I had COVID, but I guess not. <laughs> so, what, so what's next? What is it? What's on your bucket list that you haven't done? Because you've done so much. Like, where do you want to travel and what do you want to do? What's, 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 I would like to travel now when all the, the restrictions drop, you know. Uh, I want to go to Mexico and spend some time surfing again, an uncrowded spot. I mean, that's one thing that I'm going to do. Because one friend of mine actually bought a house right in front of a point break in Mexico. A very close friend that lives in Idaho. So he's going to be there a lot. And uh, I'm probably going to be there a little. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I got to go back surfing at least a little bit. Uh, that's like my zen with surfing. And, and when I'm skiing, it's like a zen thing, you know, puts you in a in a mental level yeah i remember when you used to be when you used to be stressed you said i'm going to go hit the ocean for a while and i'm going to be, come back and be okay and yeah. and do you get do you ever get to communicate with hickson and and horian yeah. and, and that whole crew do you ever do you guys ever get together and communicate i talk to him about 10 times a year you know he's so busy sometimes i call him and then he calls me like a week later because he's somewhere or doing something He's working on a movie, so I talk to him a lot, and I'm uh, I'm gonna have to take some days to go over there and visit, you know, because that's what you do, you know, and it's rough because from here to his house is six hours, but uh, I will make a I'll make an appointment to do that here. And, come. and what what do you think? what is your opinion of the current state of jujitsu and MMA? Like it compared to what it was in the past. I know, I know a lot of people don't know. I mean, a lot of this, a lot of the MMA fights, I mean, people used to fight on the beaches. People used to fight you. I mean, um, Hickson had his big fight in the stadium uh, or yeah. his, his, his father had a big fight in the stadium as well as Hickson later. So, I mean, everything's changed so much. You know, it, it's mostly, you know, like Hickson said, I agree with him. It's mostly like blood and, and money, you know. The, we used to fight for honor, you know. We didn't make a dime until they start making events. Somebody would say, oh, jiu-jitsu sucks. We were like, no, jiu-jitsu don't suck. You want to prove it, you know. If, you, if you're going to say that jiu-jitsu sucks, you have to prove it. And then we made a fight, and jiu-jitsu generally won. You know, but uh, today it's uh, it's all about money. You know what I mean? And rules, and you know they they keep putting more rules. They keep putting more rules, which are completely unenforceable. Every time I watch a fight, there's a there's a like an eye gouge, and you know there's a, a somebody kicks somebody in the nuts, or you know what I mean. That didn't happen before. It was very difficult for somebody actually eye gouge the other guy. You know what I mean? See, there's guys like John, John Jones that has 12 eye gouges. In a, come on. You know what I mean? If you're not doing it for purpose, there's something wrong with you. You can't be in there. You know what I mean? Or the other guy can use that too. Come on. You know, let's make it no rules. Yeah, you know, I, I so hear. 
the same thing happening to jiu-jitsu you know the sport jiu-jitsu there's factions that are modifying you know what i mean there's factions that they have no respect for the red belt they use the red belt to differentiate fighters you know the competitors the red belt is the highest belt in jiu-jitsu you cannot use it for anything you use it when it comes the time you know what i mean but uh, you know there's factions there diminish the time limits so they can have more fights you know what i mean everything was already thought out you know what i mean so just follow the the same rules that we had and everything would be fine you know take out the the, the advantages um make it simple and effective you know like it used to be uh, mm-hmm. I think I think that they're creating a problem for themselves. Now I don't see. I was just here in a tournament because now I go to tournaments and I make contacts, right? I go I go to a tournament here in Utah and I met a bunch of people that probably gonna want some classes, you know. So that's what I do. But I saw they 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 made the time limits messed up. So they already making the athlete think that that's the regular the normal, you know. Jiu-Jitsu has to be standardized. It's the same for everyone, the same rules for everybody. Kind of like Taekwondo. You know what I mean? The most organized federation of the world is Taekwondo because everything is standardized perfectly. You know what I mean? The day that we do that, everyone is going to be successful in Jiu-Jitsu. You know? Now there's a guy you look and there's a guy with gi, there's a guy with no gi, there's a guy with no gi promoting a guy with gi. So they make a mess out of the thing, you mm-hmm. know. I like to see more respect in that matter. I like to see more standardization, you know, more self-defense. And, and then everybody's going to be good, you know, because the kids need self-defense. A medal is not going to help them against the bully, but self-defense will. I, I so, absolutely you know, standardization of jiu-jitsu, like Hickson said, you know, it'll be great for everyone. I agree. I absolutely agree. And Fabio, I want to I want to tell you, thank you so 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 much for being. Man, here. it's so awesome talking to you. Yeah, yeah <laughs> so, you know what? I, you know what? I, I I have to tell you, you were one of my heroes growing up. You were well, because so, talking to you is like talking to family. You know, you yeah. know, I know you for what twenty five years now. Yeah, it's just yeah. it's so it's so great because you and I used to pal around with you, and you used to, and I got to meet a lot of Hickson's friends because of you, and I got to become friends with Kim Gracie, who I still uh, stay yes. in contact with. And I have to tell you, I just want to say thank you so much for everything. And you know what? Can you please um, tell the audience where they can get a hold of you and where academies are at so they can take classes with you? Uh, you guys can can uh, go to fabiojujitsu.com. Everything is there. It's it's my web page. You can get in touch with me from there, or you can call the academy number, 619-229-0022. And leave a message or the secretary will pick up um and i yeah so it's fabio it's fabio santos jiu-jitsu and i know you have a, so you have schools yeah. in san diego no fabiojujitsu.com is the web page gotcha okay and um and it, well thank you so much fabio I, I, get, I have to say you know i got i love you a lot you you know you're just an amazing man and your wife is amazing i appreciate too. that and you guys are big dog folks too, so uh, I, I have to mention that. And I want to thank my producer Brian so much yeah. for doing oh, Brian. this. Hey man, did an awesome job. <laughs> and please, if you like the podcast, go on to Apple and Spotify and, and give it reviews. Definitely. And I, look, looking forward to next time we'll have another great guest on here. And Fabio, thank you again, and have a wonderful, yeah. wonderful day. Thank you, my brother, take care. Take care, my friend. God bless.